Hey, welcome to UX Podcast, where we talk about the experiences, challenges, and opportunities that underrepresented groups face in the world of design. I'm Varsha. And I'm Alex, and we're glad to have you back with us on our second episode. Our last episode was about having a virtual seat at the table and what that means for designers. And we heard a lot of great feedback from you guys, especially that a lot of you prefer coffee over tea. Did we actually hear that? I mean, no, but I like it better than tea. Ooh, those are fighting words. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Today we will be talking about some common misconceptions people have when applying to senior design roles. So for the sake of the conversation, we're going to be defining senior roles as ones that look for designers with about four or more years of experience. And we know everyone has their own definition of senior in this industry, and let's be honest, that itself can really add a lot of complexity to navigating the application process. Yeah. So let's jump into it. When we were preparing for this episode, we both had our own set of misconceptions based off of our personal experiences. So the ones we're going to talk about today are ones that we felt were really important and relevant. I want to start off with the idea of formalized training like boot camps and master's programs. Do you feel like having formal training or a specific degree in art or any other degree related to design is necessary to get into a senior design role? So just transparently, you know, do I feel like a formal training is necessary? No, I don't. I think um, one of the main myths about being in design is that you have to go to art school or you have to have this, you know, fancy art degree slapped onto your resume. Um, and, (laughs) And that's not true. It's not to say that it's not an awesome degree and it doesn't, you know, mean something really important. But, you know, I do think that, and we've talked about this before, it's, it's important to know some of the basics when you are entering a new career. So obviously, you know, going to boot camp can be really helpful. And, you know, I went to general assembly. I really liked it a lot. Um, but you know, when you learn that a lot of other people come to design, especially UX from a variety of different roles, some people transition from, you know, even like a recruiting industry or they come from, you know, finance background even, right. It's, it really opens your eyes to say, you know, I don't really think a formal degree in art or what have you is necessary. Um, And I think that applies then to the senior design role. Um, And I I know we're going to get into it later, but, you know, I think relevant years of experience is probably more applicable than having a specific degree. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's the beauty of our industry is that I feel like most people come from very diverse backgrounds. So, I know when you first see the word design in UX design, you automatically think, you know, arts, but um, UX is so much more than visual and artistic kind of skills. It's, it's, it goes way beyond that. So I think you made some great points around the misconceptions of getting a formalized degree or training within design. Because uh, I, I myself started out my UX career t- 
taking a boot camp and I actually didn't finish the boot camp, which is another story, but <laughs> I just, you know, I felt like I learned a lot of fundamentals, which is why I decided to take the boot camp, but then I just wanted to launch myself into it, you know, like I I felt that I learned enough and I'm more of a hands-on learning type of person, so as soon as I got the opportunity to actually work in UX in my day-to-day job, I just took that opportunity and ran with it. And, you know, I, looking back, I don't regret, you know, not getting that certificate of completion (laughs) or I'm, I'm glad I, you know, introduced myself to the field through that avenue, but I would not say, you know, I needed to do that to get where I am today. Yeah, I love it too, because there's a lot of confidence I can hear about, you know, just throwing yourself into (laughs) something. And I know that's definitely who you are. So I I love that. And I think a lot of other people that jump into design uh, would say the same thing. Um, I think when we think about management, you know, or more senior roles and developing skills to actually take on those senior roles, I do think that there is a common misconception that, you know, in order to get into those senior roles, you have to also have business school experience or management experience. Um, Can you talk a little bit, Varsha, about your thoughts on that? Because I know you've had specific also, you know, MBA experience. um, And what what do you think about that? Yeah, it's tricky, because it's something that we touched on earlier that everyone defines senior roles differently. So um, to you, a senior role may be someone that takes on more responsibility, but maybe not so much as a team lead. So That being said, I think it's definitely important to have some of those skills in management if you're taking on a role where you're acting as a team lead and you're responsible for your team's growth. Um, I think it's really important. But to answer your question, I don't think that you need a certificate in management or you don't need to get your MBA to understand business and definitely not to manage a team. Personally, I went to get my MBA because I felt that I wanted to strengthen the conversations I was having with stakeholders and clients um, when talking about the importance of UX and the value it brings to a business. It has impacts on revenue too, which ultimately rolls up into the greater business conversation. Definitely, yeah, it does. Well, I guess, I mean, it does make me think, though, about, you know, understanding, we talked about this last time, about UX and how how it plays a little bit more into the business and having a seat at the table, what does that look like? But when we're applying to these different roles, I mean, because we are so fundamental in driving revenue for companies, um, which a lot of people, I think, aren't really aware of. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so another common misconception we talked about is that you can't perform at a senior design level without the necessary years of experience. Yeah, which I think is pretty ridiculous, but I mean, Alex, how do you sell your relevant years of experience 
when you might not have that exact number of years of experience that a job description has. Yeah, um, so it can be tough. Uh, Let's just start there because I do think we get stuck sometimes when we see a number and we're like a year or two off and, you know, it stops us from applying. Um, But for me, and I think this is, you know, kind of the storyteller in me, I think it is about selling it. It's about selling your story. Which you're great at. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You too. Um, So I think, yeah, it's about selling your story. I think telling people your journey into UX actually can help people understand where you came from. So, you know, when I talk about in interviews, for example, if I say, people will ask me about how I got into UX and I start talking about how I came from writing and content strategy and content operations and really um, formulating this sort of picture for them and then talking about how that related to other aspects of the business. And so, yeah, I actually think selling your relevant years of experience actually comes down to how you tell your story. Um, And I think that's actually what inspires people and it will help them look beyond, you know, oh, this person doesn't have that one more extra year of experience. Yeah. And when we say relevant too, it doesn't necessarily mean relevant years of experience in design. I mean, We talked about people coming into UX from many different backgrounds and, you know, something that you did as a legal assistant or a financial planner can still be very valuable when you transition into UX. So we're not just saying, you know, what are the relevant design experiences that you have, but how can you tie those experiences in other areas back to what you'll be doing in your role. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I think that's really huge because oftentimes we get intimidated by, again, it's like, do you have the art degree? Do you have the design degree? And then on top of that, it's like, also show me all of your amazing experience that you've just had in design. And I think that can be really intimidating. Yeah, and... Being able to tell your story is so important to landing a senior design role. You, you can't just expect your resume to do all the work for you. And we know as designers that portfolios are so important when you're applying to roles. Um, you rarely ever see um, a job posting that does not require a portfolio submission. So. One of the other misconceptions that we talked about is thinking that your portfolio has to be perfect. We see a lot of UX jobs talking about wearing the hat of a visual designer and doing UI work. So I know people in UX feel the pressure to focus on the visuals more than focusing on the storytelling of your process behind the work that you've done. Yeah, and I know it's uh, I I feel like we've all gone through it when we're originally in the beginning phases of, you know, I, speaking for myself especially, I'm I'm not afraid to say it. I know that going out there and researching a bunch of different showcase portfolios by amazing designers, <laughs> we've all done it. It's yeah, it's very tempting to just look at a template and you know copy those those different. Uh, 
like design components, but ultimately it doesn't really showcase, I guess, the authenticity of who you are and like you said, Varsha, your process. Um, but I am curious, I mean, how do you make your portfolio authentic to you and kind of make you feel confident in your skills? I think one way to show that authenticity and make it you is the content you put in there. So Definitely. when I you know, update my portfolio every year or so, maybe, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> I do that. Um, I, I tend to write the content in my portfolio as if I were sitting with a hiring manager or sitting with a teammate and telling them about, you know, my experience in design. So I like to keep it casual and kind of stick to my brand so it's not formal um, but I'm still you know touching on important things like what was my role what was my impact and you know who the stakeholders were like all that important information um, is to me more critical than how it looks but that does matter at the end of the day we are designers and aesthetics matter in this industry yeah and I think it's it's really nice too how you put that because I really think the content people don't say it enough but the content sells and I think how you show design seniority in your portfolio can come down to metrics showing the metrics of the designs that you've created how that's actually contributed to again the revenue or page views or things like that. Um, But I think also, like you said, what was your role? How did you actually contribute as a leader, as someone on the team? Um, And I think that showcases that it's not just about, oh, you know, this looks great. I think, you know, aesthetics matter, content matters, and then finding the right merge of the two. I think while difficult, I think is necessary. Yeah, and I think people like you that have experience in content have a great advantage <laughs> in this aspect. So. Well, I appreciate that. I sometimes feel like it's a long book, so. <laughs> well, I would just say, you know, don't be afraid in your, you know, write-up of your process, things that you've learned, too. Um, I think we all feel the pressure to say, you know, I did this and it was because of me that we, you know, got like a thousand more page views. Um, But it's also important to talk about things that you learned along the way to show that, you know, you have grown in this role and um, you're collaborative and you can work on a team. I mean, that's important when you're um, looking at senior roles because, Typically, we see that, you know, you're managing a team or um, a project. So it's important to show that you're also a follower. Yeah, and I think with that, it showcases that you have a high level of awareness when it comes to understanding the team value and what that means. And I think for designers that are looking to go into senior roles or if they're considering how can I get there I actually think it's maybe even asking a manager hey you know 
I was the design lead on this project before, maybe so-and-so should take it and I can actually, you know, step aside and do this other thing. And I think that's such a really good point about being a follower because oftentimes when you see senior designer, it's very attractive because you want to be the leader. Um, but yeah, so I think it leads us into kind of our, our fourth and last misconception um, and probably the most important one that has a huge impact on the design community and other industries at large, uh, which is that a person of color or women of color have an easier time or less competition for senior roles now because they are sort of this like token diversity hire. Um, <laughs> First of all, whoever's putting those, you know, claims out there, this is not true. Yeah, it's definitely not true. We can speak from experience, uh, and we're definitely going to go into some some stats and some stories on that because we do think it's important to bring that to you guys and make sure that you're aware. Yeah, and I just want to point out that when Alex and I were kind of planning this episode, this... This point was one that we spent a lot of time on, just, you know, gasping at some of these stats that we were finding. I honestly, like, it's much worse than I thought it was, so... Yeah, me too. Yeah, I just kind of want to jump into it. So, I don't know if you know this about me, Alex, but I am on LinkedIn a lot, (laughs) and... I just like reading conversations. Sometimes there's a lot of drama on there and, you know, I'm not on social media, so that kind of <laughs> acts as my little dose of social media some days. But I wanted to share um, an interesting thread. It was around a story of a black female engineer who was hired to be a senior engineer for a pretty large company. I'm not going to name any names, but... Um, she had, you know, less years of experience than the job description generally calls for. So this is like a pretty well-known role within that company. And, you know, it, the job description said, you know, needs five years or whatever X amount of years. And she had less than that. So, um, it was really interesting to see the discussion around some people, claiming that this was unfair because she didn't have, you know, X years of experience as a job description required. And, you know, we're sometimes inferring that she might have gotten the role because she was a diversity hire. Yeah, I, um, well, I'm not surprised that it caught your attention. And I'm definitely not surprised you, you were on LinkedIn. Um, (laughs) but I would have loved to see the comments on that post. Um, I know, I should have taken a screenshot. Yeah, it's, it was probably very interesting. Um, no, I, I really do think it's, it's unfair in a lot of ways because, you know, we don't really know what the reason was that she got hired, but I think, you know, in support of, a woman of color, especially going after a senior design role or an engineer role, sorry. Um, a senior role in it, tech. Right, exactly. Um, and achieving that, it should just be celebrated, period. Um, right. And, and that, that's it. Why make unfair assumptions when you don't, you don't have any facts? Exactly. And, you know, it, it leads into even 
other studies that we've talked about in depth. Um, and so like, you know, McKinsey actually did a recent study in September of this year, 2020. So just last month, they showed this study and it said it showed the underrepresentation of women and women of color in senior management roles. And, you know, I know Varsha, when I sent this to you, I, I really was like my stomach just completely dropped. And so, you know, in the study, they showed that like with white women, you know, in the senior manager director space, there's only about, you know, 25% of white women and in, you know, the C-suite, they're seeing only 19, 20% of white women in the C-suite. And then it's even worse when you get to women of color. So, you know, you're looking at the senior manager, again, director level, and you're at 9% of women of color. And we're looking at these diagrams that are kind of funnels into how people progress, how do these groups progress through entry-level roles into the C-suite. And most of them get smaller and smaller when you look at those representative groups. But white men show to actually take up more percentage-wise of that group within their level. So we see them at about 35% at an entry-level job, whereas it's actually 66% when they go all the way up to the C-suite. So it's pretty crazy discrepancies when we look at the comparison between women of color only taking up 3% of the C-suite roles. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely insane. And I think that I mean, even HBR, you know, put out an article that said there are more CEOs of large U.S. companies who are named David, I think it's about 4.5% than there are CEOs who are women, uh, which is 4.1%. <laughs> oh and, and they actually said, you know, David's not even the most common first name among CEOs. It would actually be John, which is 5.3%. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I think it it showcases we just don't care enough to elevate women, women of color. Um, and, you know, according to a study on being black in corporate America, which was sponsored by major companies that we know of, so Morgan Stanley, Walt Disney, Pfizer, um, Johnson & Johnson, and a few others, I mean... The CEO and founder of the Center for Workforce Excellence said companies tout their achievements around growing the representation for women, but when you disaggregate the data, you see that you've got one black female or one Latina. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, like I said, I feel like there are a lot of claims out there that you know, representation is at an all-time high, diversity hiring is at an all-time high, but show us the numbers, you know? Right, exactly. And when we're going back to even our misconception about, you know, women and, you know, women of color or a person of color has an easier time because they're like a diversity hire. Um, I mean, HBR actually did a study that looked at the relationship between the finalist pools and actual hiring decisions and numbers, the percentages are horrifying. It's, it's really 
sad. Um, and, you know, just so everyone knows, I mean, we looked at this HBR graph that shows kind of the composition of the different finalist pools. So, you know, if you have one woman up against three men, the likelihood of hiring a woman is 0%. That's insane. It is. Uh, that just blows my mind, like, how? It, but anyways. No, we... no, I know. It's it's a big how with a question mark. Um, so, yeah, and, and I think there were similar results for, you know, when they looked at race. Uh, you know, they found, like, when there was only one woman or minority candidate out of four different finalists, their odds of being hired was also statistically zero. So um, it's overall, it's extremely upsetting and very alarming, I would say. That is really alarming. And, you know, that's really interesting that when hiring managers have a pool of female or persons of color mixed with male applicants to choose from, the chances of the more underrepresented group being hired is so low. But in this other study conducted within the performing arts industry, they found that blind applications lead to hiring five times more women. So when they started doing um, auditions without seeing, you know, the person that they were auditioning, um, five times more women were actually hired into performing in this orchestra. So... um, you know, how does this impact us when applying to design roles? I know some companies do mask names on resumes to reduce bias. There's there's a couple of different ways to kind of reduce bias on that front. And it's unfortunate to have to go to those measures, but we've seen people get their foot in their door after many failed attempts just by changing the name on their resumes to sound, you know, more generic or... Um, more approachable. Yeah, and it's insane because, like, for example, my name, my full name is Alexandra, and on my resume, I don't uh, shorten it, but I've often thought if I shorten it to Alex, what are the chances that I might get chosen or pulled for an interview? That's That's a great point. I mean, that's, like, a whole experiment you can conduct, yeah. You know? So maybe you can get back to us next time. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, and and I think the stats and you know the studies they showcase, and there's so much more that we could talk about. But just thinking about all the stats we did talk about can be really emotionally taxing. So. From the same report we quoted earlier around companies, you know, touting their stats on hiring diverse candidates, a survey conducted about people's confidence in their race regarding leadership trajectory showed about one in five black professionals don't feel that someone in their race would ever make it to the top of their company. And specifically among women, A little over 15% of black women have the same sentiment, whereas just 5% or less of white women and men felt the same way. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking because ultimately this is the problem, is that we're we're not instilling confidence that women, persons of color whether that's male or female, have the 
confidence, courage, wisdom, trust in the company, the, the ability even, right, that, that they can rise to the top. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's very eye-opening and it tells a story. I agree, yeah. Having a positive outlook on moving up at a company or in your career generally does make a huge impact on your confidence and your even your ability to be a leader um, as you step into these senior roles. Yeah, I agree. And it was a lot of yeah, yeah lot. it was a lot of content and data around these common misconceptions that we feel are important to be aware of. And I mean, as much as it can be overwhelming, I do think that there are some big learning opportunities here um, for yourself, you know, for us collectively, but also for you as an individual, as a listener. Um, And I think we really should take it all the way back to the very beginning. So on the topic of education that we discussed, it can definitely help, but it doesn't have to define your success. I mean, especially for senior roles. And it doesn't even necessarily apply to just jobs and design. We've said that over and over and really relevant experience matters more than anything else. Yeah. And also have courage to express how you can perform well in a job, even if you don't fit that description exactly. So touch on things like projects you've led, how you implemented good processes, or even created a good collaborative environment. Yeah, and really getting to that, you know, when you're talking about how you perform well and showcasing your work, I mean, don't compare your portfolio to someone else's and showcasing that your process is really what makes it authentic um, and I hate to say it, but the cookie cutter, it stands out and it's not always in a great way. And as a bonus, this is something that we did not touch on as a misconception, but, you know, it's still something we wanted to bring up. If you develop a good rapport with the recruiter or hiring manager that you've been talking to, see if you're able to give them feedback on the application process beginning at the job description that you read. Creating a fair hiring and interviewing process for people of color and women depends on the company, but also us as candidates. So, I mean, the fight is still very relevant and still happening to get more of us in these senior roles. Yes, I agree. And I think having the knowledge to overcome those obstacles is really key. We want to thank you for giving us a listen here. In our next episode, we'll be discussing our personal journeys into UX and why this podcast even came to life to begin with. So in the meantime, if you want to share your own story about applying to senior design roles, or if you have comments about this episode, shoot us an email. We would love to hear from you. Follow us on Spotify and on Instagram at UX Podcast. See you on the next one.